Well, good morning. Here we are at the end of what some of my friends have called a marathon <laughs> through Romans. Uh, we started this journey five months ago in January, 20 lessons ago, and we're going to end our journey today. And as I thought and prayed about how do I end and review Romans, um, I couldn't do any better than letting Paul tell you in his own words. So I'm going to read some of the key verses from the book of Romans to remind us of our travels down what some folks have called the Romans Road. So these verses will be on the screen, but I want to um, challenge you to really listen to this beautiful salvation story that Paul is telling. For I am not ashamed of the gospel. It is the power of God for salvation to everyone who has faith, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Do you despise the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience? Do you not realize that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? There will be anguish and distress for everyone who does evil, the Jew first and also the Greek. But glory and honor and peace for everyone who does good, the Jew first and also the Greek. For God shows no partiality. Since all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, they are now justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Blessed are those whose iniquities are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the one against whom the Lord will not reckon sin. Therefore, since we are justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. But God proves his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. But thanks be to God that you having once been slaves of sin, have become obedient from the heart to the form of teaching to which you were entrusted, and that you, having been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. But now we're discharged from the law, dead to that which held us captive, so that we are slaves not under the old written code, but in the new life of the Spirit. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For I'm convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor Anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. It is not as though the word of God had failed, for not all Israelites truly belong to Israel. So it depends not on human will or exertion, but on God who shows mercy. For Christ is the end of the law, so that there may be righteousness for everyone who believes. If you confess with your lips that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart 
that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Let love be genuine. Hate what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with mutual affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Amen. I can just sit down now. (laughs) Together we've been exploring how our lives are transformed when we keep in mind the mercies of Romans 1 through 11. Paul's been teaching us about this new life of the Spirit that flows from God's mercy. That's why we named our study this part, too, New Life of the Spirit. Through Romans chapters 12 through 16, Paul has been giving us a picture of what it means to be living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to God, people who by the power of the Holy Spirit can show genuine love in their personal relationships, in their civic relationships, in their social relationships, in their relationships all over the world. He calls us to be people who accept as Jesus accepted us. He calls us to be a people who welcome others the way that he welcomes us. Last week, we saw how Paul urged the weak and the strong in faith to remember how Christ accepted each of them. And from that foundation of Christ's acceptance, he called them to be united in love over disputable matters. This week, we'll close our study in Romans by looking at Paul's final words to the church in Rome. I'm kind of sad. How about you guys? (laughs) First, we're going to look at Paul's hope for the church. Then we're going to look at Paul's example to the church. And last, we'll look at Paul's love for the church. So first... Paul's hope for the church. In Romans 15, 7 through 9, you can look at those verses if you'd like in your Bible. It says, Welcome one another, therefore, just as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. For I tell you that Christ has become a servant of the circumcised on behalf of the truth of God in order that he might confirm the promises given to the patriarchs and in order that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. Well, when the weak and the strong accept one another in Jesus, as he has welcomed them, God is glorified. The glory of God has been Paul's aim. He builds on this idea of unity for the glory of God in verses 8 and 9, when he says the very reason Jesus came was to be a servant to the circumcised, that's to the Jews, and so that he could fulfill the promises of God and so that the Gentiles would be brought into the church. Paul wrote verses 7 to 9 to show that it was God's plan all along to get glory by bringing in the Gentiles in the gospel through Christ. Verses 8 through 9 are really the truths of chapters 9 through 11 in a nutshell. Jew and Gentile are included in God's promise to save all of Israel. Remember what Paul said in Romans 10, 12 and 13. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. The same Lord is Lord of all and is generous to all who call on him. 
for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. To support his statement in verse 9, that it was always God's plan for the Gentiles to glorify God for his mercy, Paul quotes three Old Testament passages in verses 9 through 12. Douglas Moo says, Paul cites every part of the Old Testament, the writings in verses 9 and 11, the law in verse 10, and the prophets in verse 12. He wants to show that the inclusion of Gentiles with Jews in the praise of God has always been a part of God's purposes. Verse 9 is from 2 Samuel and Psalm 18. Verse 10 is from Deuteronomy. Verse 11 is from Psalm 117. And verse 12 is from Isaiah. So we see that Paul supports his exhortation to welcome one another with proof texts from the Old Testament scripture to show that the Gentiles had to come in through Messiah like everyone else. Then he breaks into a prayer for the church in Romans 15, 13. And what I love about this is that prayer is a very natural part of who Paul is. Uh, he will stop in the middle of a, a thought and he'll start to pray. He'll start to pray for the church. And we'll see this in the rest of his chapter, 15 and 16. But here it is in verse 13. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. So here Paul prayed that the united church would be filled with joy and peace in believing the gospel, and that together, by the Spirit's power, they would overflow in hope. Next, Paul affirms the inclusion, inclusion of the Gentiles in Romans 15, 16, with his call to be a minister of Jesus Christ to the Gentiles. He says he has a priestly service of the gospel of God. And he has this offering, and it's the offering of the Gentiles themselves to be acceptable and sanctified by the Holy Spirit. Paul talks about this priestly service as a call to the Gentiles. And as a priest, he's offering the Gentiles to God as a living sacrifice. Isn't that amazing? And he boasts about God working through him to win obedience from the Gentiles by word and deed, by power of signs and wonders, and by the power of the Spirit of God. John Stott said, Paul regards his missionary work as a priestly ministry because he's able to offer his Gentile converts as a living sacrifice to God. So what were Paul's hopes for the church in Rome? First, that the welcoming between Jew and Gentile would bring glory to God. Second, that together they would experience joy and peace and hope in God. And third, that the Gentiles, through their obedience, would be an acceptable offering to God. Well, Paul said, in 1 Corinthians 11.1, 1, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. So we're going to look at his example to the church now. And as we look at the verses that talk about what Paul did, I'm going to challenge us to think about following his example. First, in verse 18, he only boasts in what Christ has accomplished through him. What can we boast about in Jesus today. 
In verse 19, he fully proclaimed the good news of Christ. Fully proclaimed. His ambition is to proclaim the good news where Christ had not been proclaimed. He was a pioneer of the gospel. Now, we're, we're not pioneers of the gospel, but like Paul's one-of-a-kind mission, what unique ambition has God given you to accomplish for Christ? Do we have a holy ambition to proclaim the gospel? Next, he plans to bring an offering from the churches in Macedonia and Achaia to the poor in Jerusalem before he heads to Rome. Paul's model, Paul models this extravagant love for the church in taking the offering. If Paul were able to make all these journeys by ship, the first journey from Corinth to the place where he was writing the Romans, then to Jerusalem, it would be at least 800 miles. So he's in Corinth, he's writing the Romans, but he has to go to Jerusalem. So he goes in the opposite direction from Rome. That's 800 miles. Then the next leg would be from Jerusalem to Rome. That would be 1,500 miles. And then the final leg from Rome to Spain would be another 700 miles. So in taking this offering, it was no small feat. Um, it was all by ship, probably. It would be even longer if it wasn't by ship. Making the minimum total miles in order to get to his destination of Spain, 3,000 miles. Incredible, 3,000 miles. So my question is, how can we go out of our way to show God's love to others? Do we let God's agenda determine our schedules? Uh, I wanted to offer to you an opportunity for us to reach across to people far away and serve. Here at Hillside, we uh, take care of compassion children. And right now, we're down to, how many do we have, Patty? We have nine kids left out of 33 that we're trying to sponsor. So if that's one way you want to go out of your way to show God's love across the world, see Patty and see and pick up a packet and sponsor a, a compassion child today. The last example I want to look at is that Paul asks for prayer in verses 30 to 33. He asks for them to pray that he wouldn't be thwarted when he is trying to get to where he's going, and that also that offering would be received by the people in Jerusalem. So I ask us, do we ask our friends to pray for our lives? And what role does prayer play in your ministry? Well, let's look at Paul's love for the church. He sends personal greetings to the church in Rome, and he calls the people there, his brothers and his sisters. Look at this in Romans 14, 15, 14. I myself feel confident about you, my brothers and sisters. And then in 30, I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, by our Lord Jesus Christ. And then again in 16, 17. I urge you, brothers and sisters, to keep an eye on those who cause dissensions and offenses. He calls some of them beloved in chapter 16. Verse 5, greet my beloved Epinetus. Verse 8, greet 
Oh, Ampliatus, my beloved in the Lord. Verse 9, greet Urbanus, our co-worker in Christ, and my beloved Stachys. And then in verse 12, greet the beloved Persis, who has worked hard in the Lord. Even though he had never been to Rome, he had people that he loved there. Next, we also see that he honors 27 named individuals. The first one's Phoebe, and most scholars believe she's actually the person that delivered the letter. But the 26 individuals that are named after, he honors them. And he shows how they've either supported his ministry, or how they've co-labored with him, or how they're now serving in Rome. And then we see that he warns the church against false teaching in 16, 17, and 9. He tells the church to watch out for those who cause dissensions and offenses in opposition to the teaching that they've learned and to avoid them. And the reason why this is such an amazing teaching, it's in contrast to Romans 14, where we were last week. Last week, when there were dissensions between weak and strong, he didn't instruct them to avoid each other. This is different. He's saying that if among them, anyone causes dissensions or oppositions to the teaching that they have learned, here he's warning to avoid that. So he comes with a pastor's heart here. He comes with a shepherd's heart. And then we see how he blesses the church with prayers in chapters 15 and 16. He wrote four prayers of blessing that we're going to look at, and he ends with a doxology. Well, let's look at that first blessing. The first blessing is in Romans 15, 5 and 6. And he says, May the God of steadfastness and encouragement grant you to live in harmony with one another in accordance with Christ Jesus, so that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In this prayer, Paul asks God to grant harmony within the church so that God would be glorified. Again, his aim is the glory of God. Notice that harmony is a gift from God to the church in accordance with Jesus. Accordance means harmony, and it means unity. So, catch the thread. Paul is praying for God to grant harmony to the church that is in harmony with Jesus. Paul highlights God's character traits of steadfastness and encouragement. He wants to show the church that their harmony comes from God's unwavering faithfulness and support. Let's look at that next blessing in Romans 15, 13. Bless you. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Here, Paul emphasizes the God of hope as the source of joy and peace for believers. And it's by the power of the Holy Spirit that God's hope spills over in abundance to his people. Paul blesses the church a third time in Romans 15.33. He says, the, peace, the God of peace be with all of you. Amen. Paul ends this part of his letter to the church as he looks forward to being with them by praying that the God of peace would be with them. This seems an appropriate blessing to the ending of his teaching on unity within the church. 
Well, in chapter 16, as Paul ends his warnings about false teachers, he prays this blessing upon the church. Romans 16, 20. The God of peace will shortly crush Satan under your feet. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Here again, Paul calls on the God of peace. This is a very interesting choice of descriptors for God in this context. The God of peace is going to crush Satan under your feet. Why would Paul emphasize the God of peace in relation to Satan? Maybe Paul had Romans 5, 1 and 2 in mind when he wrote this prayer. This is what Romans 5, 1 and 2 says. Therefore, since we are justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have obtained access to this grace in which we stand, and we boast in our hope of sharing the glory of God. No matter how Satan, the accuser, tries to condemn us, he cannot We have peace with God. The God of peace will crush our enemy under our feet. Revelation 20.10 says, And the devil who had deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and sulfur, where the beast and the false prophet were, and they will be tormented day and night forever. Paul says in Ephesians 6.12, Our struggles not against enemies of blood and flesh, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Until Satan is completely disarmed, Paul prays for the grace of Jesus to be with us. Paul ends this amazing prayer, an amazing letter, with what some theologians call the greatest letter ever written with a doxology. So what's a doxology? The first half of the word doxology is from the Greek word doxa, which means glory. The second half of the word is from the Greek word logo. Paul ends Romans with a glory saying about God. He ends with a hymn of praise. Let's look at that together. Romans 16, 25 through 27. Now to God, who is able to strengthen you According to my gospel and the proclamation of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery that was kept secret for long ages, but is now disclosed, and through the prophetic writings is made known to all the Gentiles, according to the command of the eternal God, to bring about the obedience of faith to the only wise God through Jesus Christ, to whom the glory forever. Amen. So this is the gospel. He ends praising God, a hymn of praise, with the gospel. How do we see the gospel? The gospel is how God strengthens us. It's how God strengthens the church. It's personal. Paul says, my gospel. Can we say, it's my gospel? The gospel proclaims Jesus Christ. He is the gospel. It is the mystery, a secret mystery, it says, that the gospel is for all people. All people need the gospel. Gentiles, you and me who aren't Jews by birth, are included in that gospel. 
This has been revealed to us in the scriptures. It's eternal. It is with the eternal wise God that brings about the obedience of faith through his son Jesus. Paul used this term in Romans 1.5. It's very interesting. Only used it twice, obedience of faith. Romans 1.5 says, Through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith among all the Gentiles for the sake of his name. Again, it's for God's glory that the Gentiles and all would be brought in. We're justified by faith, and through Christ, that faith yields obedience. The obedience of faith of believers, both Jew and Gentile, in Jesus Christ is a product of the wisdom of the eternal God. But this is not the first time Paul has celebrated God's wisdom. He had his doxology in Romans 11, after he finished all his statements about justification by faith, he said, Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who has been his counselor? Or who has given a gift to him to receive a gift in return? For from him and through him and to him are all things to him be the glory forever. Amen. This gospel, this gospel of Paul's, this gospel of ours, this gospel of Jesus Christ, this gospel for Jew and Gentile, it's about gospel people loving each other because of the mercies of Christ. It's about gospel people loving their neighbors, loving their enemies, loving one another, all for the glory of God. I'd like to pray a blessing over you. May our lives sing hymns of praise to Jesus. By the power of the Holy Spirit, may we glorify God as living sacrifices with our words and deeds. May we love one another as Christ loved us. May we proclaim the gospel unashamed because it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who has faith. Together, may we make known the mystery of faith revealed to us in the scriptures that Christ died, Christ rose from the dead, and is Lord of all, Jew and Gentile. To the only wise God, through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever. Amen.